Praise the Lord for baby Hannah. Uh, this morning we are in 1 John chapter 2. We're taking a little bit of a break uh, from the gospel of John. I screwed it up last time, so Joel was like, hey, just leave that to me. No, I'm just kidding. 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, starting off in verse 15. I'll give you a little bit to turn there. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. It says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires are passing away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for the Meyer family and for Joel and Denise and baby Hannah, and we're so excited for the blessings that you have for them, Lord. And um, I just lift up their family. I lift up the, these months to come, Lord. I pray that they can have meals and everything that they need. I pray that we as a body can comfort them and, and give them everything that they need, Lord. Um, I thank you for Thanksgiving, for visiting with all of our families. We have so much to be thankful for, Lord, as Chris was saying this morning. Um, so just bless this time of teaching. Um, let your word feed us, Lord, and nourish us and give us what you need as, give us what we need as your body, Lord. So just speak from your word now, in Jesus' name, amen. A couple of years ago, when I was meeting my stepdad for the first time, he came home, and I remember distinctly, I'll never forget, this thing that he had, that he was crazy about. It was a little box, it looked really cool, it was blue, and it was a water ionizer, a water ionizer. Have you guys ever heard of a water ionizer, something like that? Maybe a couple of us, right? And he was absolutely crazy about this thing, and he was dedicated to get my mom and I to be crazy over it, just, just like he was, right? He's like, this is the best thing that's ever been invented. I'll never forget it. It's like this little box, you stick it next to your sink, you hook it up to your sink, and as water travels through this thing, it even talks to you too, it has like little buttons and stuff. As water travels through it, it filters it and it changes the pH of the water, like instantly. As soon as you turn on your water, it comes out, you can change the pH, like super alkaline, super acidic, um, it's totally up to you, right? And I remember this dramatic little demonstration that he gave my mom and I. He filled up a little clear, a little clear glass of our tap water that I've been drinking my whole life, right? And then a little clear glass of this alkaline water from this, this water ionizer thing that was like 4,000 bucks or something. It, they were not cheap, seriously. And he had these little pH strips, like these little pH testing strips. And he's like, okay, we're going to see just how healthy this water is that you're drinking, right? And the, these little pH strips, if it turned blue, that meant that the water was high alkaline, that it was cancer-fighting, that it replenishes your body faster, right? If you go on their website, it even says that it's like super good for your mood and it fights like negative energy, right? <laughs> but if the strip turns yellow, that means that the water is highly acidic, it creates a cancer-thriving environment, it increases stress and rapid aging, and even creates negative emotions. Yeah, acidic water creates negative emotions, right? So it's all down to this, right? It's super dramatic. He's got these two little cups, and he's like, 
he dips the first one in the, in the water that came out of the box, and it's this beautiful blue color, pure, filtered, alkaline water, right? We're like, wow, that's fancy. And then he dips the other one in our tap water, and it's this nasty, pea-colored yellow. And at that moment, he looks at me, and he's like, the water you've been drinking all your life is poison. You're going to die. No, just kidding. That's not what he said to me, but that's what I felt like, right? It was like, oh, crap, like, I'm definitely going to die. Maybe that explains why I'm such a dork is because I've been drinking this poison water my whole life, right? But that, it, in that little moment, that little tester revealed something that we couldn't see from the outside, right? It, it revealed just what was in our water because it all looked the same. From the outside, it was two clear cups of water, right? But that little pH strip uh, determined that I've been drinking poison my whole life, right? So it seems. There's something interesting here that's, that's similar that John is doing for the church, right? He's using a pH strip to test our hearts. He's giving us a scripture here, these three verses in 1 John, to test what's going on in our hearts. Because sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes it's hard to tell from the outside. It's like looking at two cups of water, right? It's hard to tell exactly what is going on in here. So John is giving us these verses to test our hearts. He's giving us these verses to see just what is going on in here for us, to see just who is sitting on the throne of our hearts, right? He's giving us a way to identify. There's three things that John is teaching us about love in these short passages three questions he asks us. Who, where, and what? Who do we love? Do we love the world or do we love the Lord? Who is sitting on the throne of our hearts and where? Where does this love come from? Is it coming again from the world or from the Father? He helps us identify exactly the source of the things that are taking up our heart and what. What will become of the things that we love? Will they last for eternity Will they pass away? Right? So John is giving us these three verses here. Let's dive into verse 15. How do we know what's in our hearts? How do we know what's going on in here? Right? Do we have to cut our hearts open and, and do some surgery and figure out what in the world is going on here? John says in verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. So we have to clarify here, John, what do you mean by the world? What is the world? Is this, you know, I thought the world was a good thing. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son for us, right? This is something different here. What is the world? The world is the community of sinful humanity that is united in rebellion against God. The world is the collective thoughts and ideologies from our culture, and it is always bent against God. God is not popular. God is not cool, right? He's not the number one trending thing, unless you're Kanye West and you have a gospel album, right? Just kidding. God is not the progressive cultural phenomenon, right? We're bent in our hearts against God. In the world, our culture reflects that. The Bible describes it as the wide way. Many people are headed towards destruction. 
Many people are lost. Many people are following after their own desires, the world's desires, the devil's desires, instead of God's. And there's a reason why Jesus calls it the narrow path, because very few will walk it. The world is what the majority is doing. It's bent against God. It's rebellious. And John here is making a clear distinction that the love for the world is different from the love for the Father and that you can't have both at the same time, right? The world is always competing with God for the throne of your heart. And John is crystal clear here. You can't love both. And that might, that might hurt us a little bit. So th the problem is, as, as Christians, sometimes we think that we can love the world. Sometimes we think maybe we just turned to Christ, right? Sometimes we think we can still keep living the way that we were living before. We have all these desires, all of these loves from the world, and we think, yes, I'm a Christian now. I can still keep all of this. I can still keep doing what I was doing before. I can still have the loves of the world that I had before, right? The thing is that whatever is sitting on the throne of your heart is the thing that's ruling your life. Whatever is sitting on the throne of your heart is the thing that's ruling your life. If it's the world that you love, then your heart will be steering in the direction of the world, away from God. But if it's the Lord that is filling your heart, it will lead you to abiding in Him with everlasting life, as John describes for us, right? But man, it's hard. It's so hard. There's so many things out there competing for that throne in our hearts. There's so many things. In fact, it's, it's literally the season right now for things to be competing in our hearts. Companies are paying billions of dollars to send advertisements everywhere you look, trying to compete for that throne in your heart because they know, they know that our heart is, is always looking, always looking for something to fill that throne it doesn't matter if you're an atheist. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It doesn't matter what you believe. There's always something sitting on the throne of your heart. There's always something. And whatever that is, it's guiding your life. It's not, a, it's not a small deal. It's not a little deal that, hey, there's something on the throne of my heart. It guides, it directs the path of your life. This is a huge deal. And John is saying, if you belong to Jesus, if you're a Christian, you can't afford to love the world. You can't afford to have any competition in your heart fighting for that throne that belongs to God. You can't have both. You can't keep um, doing the same things that you did before you, knew, before you knew Jesus. You can't keep loving the same things that we loved before we knew Jesus, right? It's so hard. It's just one more beer, right? I only spend four hours a day watching TV. It's only the second selfie that I posted today with more to come, right? There's all sorts of things competing for our heart. There's all sorts of things fighting for that throne. And John is saying, if you belong to Jesus, you have to cut it out. If you belong to Jesus, the love for the world, the love of anything that's not him, you have to pull it out like a weed. You have to get rid of it because you can't have both, right? 
John is writing um, this letter to Christians who at the time were struggling with the false gospel of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is, is not a, a huge thing that we hear uh, anymore today. Not very many people probably know what it means, but in a nutshell, Gnosticism, um, the Gnostics infiltrated the early church by preaching that all material, all flesh is evil, and that Jesus, in fact, was purely spirit, that he wasn't flesh at all. So you're like, okay, that's, that's interesting. But in fact, they, they go so far as to say, that you can do anything you want with your physical body. You can do anything you want with your flesh, with your desires over here. As long as you're going to church over here. As long as your spirit is healthy. You can do anything you want. It doesn't matter what you do with your flesh. It doesn't matter what you do with your heart. As long as your spirit is clean, right? That's the doctrine that these people were pushing into the early church. And John is writing in response to that, to fight that, right? And we don't hear that all the time today. We're not like, oh, I think I'm going to become a Gnostic, right? But what do we hear all the time today? We still hear uh, people saying, I can spend time with those old friends who don't know Jesus. I can still click on that thing when no one else is home on the computer, right? I can still talk negatively about this person behind their back even though I'm a Christian, right? We still practice this today. So many Christians still practice this today. We think that it doesn't matter what we do with our lives. It doesn't matter what we do with our body as long as we're playing this game and we're going to church every Sunday and we put on a face and our spirit is clean, right? We still practice it. It's very popular in Christianity, right? John just rips that apart. He says that's an absolute lie. You can't have both. Something is sitting on the throne of your heart. It's either the world or it's the Lord. You can't keep living in sin like you were before you knew Jesus. He's given us this warning. And if we aren't careful rooting up the love of the world from our hearts, we'll find ourselves day by day loving the Father less. We'll find ourselves day by day being further away from the God that we once loved. Jesus writes to the church in Ephesians. He says, you've forgotten your first love. Jesus isn't like, yeah, like I don't ever see you guys anymore. Or like you guys don't uphold the rules anymore like you used to, right? No, he's saying, you forgot to love me. You forgot to be in love with me like you once were. Why? Because other things crept in. Other things replaced that throne in their hearts until... One day, God wasn't there at all, and they forgot to love their God, right? There can only be one sitting on the throne. Is it the world, or is it your God? That's a scary place to be, right? When was the last time that we were consumed by our love for the Father? When was the last time that we were so filled with his passion in response to what he's done for us, right? So deeply moved by Jesus that it was undeniable that there's only one king living in our hearts. That's something I definitely had to ask myself, right? I, I'm definitely not prone to this at all. In fact, my wife and I just decided that starting December 1st, we were going to cancel all of the, the TV subscriptions that we had because we were just spending way too much time sitting in front of the TV. We're like, this isn't good. Like, when I come home, the thing I want to do to take the edge off is just turn on Netflix, 
It's not to sit at my Lord's feet and be filled with the Spirit. I just want to sit and zone out, right? We're like, this can't be healthy. This can't be good. <laughs> We're like, yeah, we gotta, we got to cancel some subscriptions. we got to do something. we got to come home from work and, and sing a song to the Lord, something to keep him the king of our hearts, to keep him on the throne, or other things will creep in, right? Where's your love? What is the thing that you're passionate about that consumes you? Is it still your king? Or are they hobbies? Are they your relationship with someone else? Are they old things that you haven't given up from before you met Jesus? Even a good thing, even a well-intentioned thing can replace that spot in your heart and distract you from Jesus. And I think that's where so many of us get caught up, right? Oh, this is a good thing. Going to the gym is a good thing, right? It's healthy for me. Or fill in the blank, whatever it is that you might think that is good for you, and it might be good, but it can still be evil if it takes the Lord off of the throne of your heart, right? What is the thing that you're most passionate about? What is the thing that fills you full of zeal, that fills you full of passion? Is it still your king? Is it still Jesus? If it's still difficult to tell where your heart lies, where your love is coming from, John goes into more detail here and gets even more specific. Where does your love come from? Where? Does it come from the Father or from the Lord? In verse 16, he says, Everything in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The desires of the flesh, what is that? That's anything that just feels good, anything that feels good for us to do. The desires of the eyes, anything that looks good, anything that you see on TV that these companies are spending millions of dollars on, making it look so good to you, right? And the pride of life, the things that you have that make you look good to others. Man, if I just had that lawnmower, oh man, everyone on the block would be like, I don't know if that's you. That's not me. I don't have a lawn, really, kind of. In our culture, it's a crime to not do what feels good. In our culture today, it's a crime to not obey the passions that come out of here. It's a crime. Like that is rule number one in our culture today is be yourself. Do what feels best for you. Obey your heart with, its, with your full power. Just run with it, right? Disney says, follow your heart. I remember preaching um, at, a, at a junior high camp over the summer, and I was trying to, I was trying to tell all these little junior hires that uh, following your heart is bad and that Disney lied to them. And man, they were heartbroken. They were like, what? Following your heart is wrong? Jeremiah says that your heart is the most wicked, wicked and deceitful thing above all things. It's your heart. And they're like, no, Disney was wrong, right? No. It was a good time. It was a good time with them. I didn't, just crush, I didn't just crush their dreams and walk away, right? But in our culture, it's a crime to deny what feels good. And John here, he's saying that is one of the biggest competitors for that throne of your heart, is whatever feels good to you, whatever desires are coming out of your heart. Jeremiah, what, the Lord wasn't lying when he spoke through Jeremiah. Your heart is desperately wicked, it says above all things. 
people think, I was born this way. As long as it's coming out of my heart, I'm doing the virtuous thing, right? John is begging us to see here. That couldn't be further from the truth. What if your heart wants you to hurt people? What if your heart wants to rob a convenience store, right? It, it stops being fun pretty quick when we just follow every single desire that comes out of our hearts. See, what our culture doesn't realize is that we are a broken people, and if we follow our hearts every desire, we're headed straight for destruction. Straight for destruction. What is the lust of the eyes? The lust of the eyes, everything that looks good to you, everything that looks appealing. When I first read this verse, I thought about sitting down in the movie theater, and you know they have those kind of pre-advertisements, and it's always the same thing. It's always like a like a big Coke bottle being filled up with Coke, and you can hear all the noises, and you see like all the ice cracking, right? And I was like, man, that looks good, and I hate Coke. I do. I hate it, but I want to drink that, whatever it is, right? The lust of the eyes, it looks good, right? Companies have been using sex to sell things for so long because they know they're using the lust of our eyes to sell a product to us, right? The pride of life, what do we have to make ourselves look better? Oh, man, <laughs> I got that new pair of shoes. I'm really going to make my buddy jealous, right? The things that we have that we want to make uh, ourselves look better to others, right? Be the envy of all your friends. Buy this thing. John is saying these things, these three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of your eyes, and the pride of life, they're not from the Father. If those are the things that you love, if those are the things consuming you, taking up your heart, John has given you a warning. That's not from God. That's from the world. And if you can feel those things, crouching at the throne, get them out now. Get them out now before you keep entertaining them and before you know it, they're sitting on the throne and you've forgotten your God and you've forgotten how to love your God and be in love with him, right? See, here's the problem. It's so easy. It's so easy to fall in love with the world because there's traps everywhere. Literally everywhere we look, there's traps and why is the world so desirable, even for Christians? Like, why, why is it so easy for Christians to get entangled in the world out there? Even Christians, even people who know Jesus, is because so often we still believe the lie that the devil has been telling us since day one, since Adam and Eve. The devil has been telling us that God is not good enough. The devil has been lying to humans telling us that God is not good enough. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's holding out on you. But this, this is better. This will really satisfy you, Eve. Just pick the apple. God doesn't really know what he's talking about. God doesn't know how to satisfy you. God doesn't know how to give you joy. God doesn't know how to show you real pleasure. That's the lie. Christians are still buying it everywhere you look. Everywhere you look. Is there anything wrong with desire? Is there anything wrong with pleasure? There's nothing wrong with it, right? It's the abuse of it. John Piper defines sin as literally denying 
God for something else. Denying God's goodness, denying God's pleasure, denying God's joy, thinking that something else will give us that pleasure, thinking that something else will give us that joy, right? C.S. Lewis, one of his best and most quoted um, quotes, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with, with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. We're far too easily pleased. We would rather have instant gratification. We would rather buy the lie that the devil can really give us joy, that the devil can really fulfill us and give us happiness instead of God. C.S. Lewis says we're far too easily pleased. If we really wanted joy, if we really wanted pleasure and gratification, we would put everything off and seek Jesus with everything we have. If we truly, really wanted joy, we would only seek Jesus. Because God says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is all about pleasure. Our culture is trying to tell us, oh, you're a Christian? You don't know how to have fun? Oh, you're one of those people? Come on. They're buying the lie. They're buying the lie. God invented pleasure. God invented joy. That's what he is. The devil is trying to lie to our culture and lie to us, saying that he's the master of pleasure. He's the master of joy. John is saying it's not true. It's not true. Desire, passion is from the Lord, right? So don't get distracted. Don't think that that new thing will fulfill you. Don't think that this sexual act will fulfill you. Don't think that anything in your heart will fulfill you. Don't buy the lie. Jesus fulfills. Jesus is the king of our heart, right? <laughs> it reminds me of Revelation 3, 17 and 18. He's saying, you say, I am rich. I have, required, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus speaking, gold refined in the fire so that you can become truly rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can truly see. Jesus is saying, if you want real pleasure, real joy, return to his feet. Put him back on the throne of your heart. Get all of the small idols, all the lies out of your heart, everything else that's competing for that throne. Get it all out because none of it lasts. That brings me to the third thing. What will happen to your love? What will happen to the thing that we treasure most? Will it pass away or will it last forever? John is saying in verse 17, the world and its desires are passing away but whoever does the will of God lives forever. He's begging us to realize here the passions of the world, the love of the world, 
None of it's real. It's all gone just like that. All of it. Um, cotton candy is amazing, right? It's this big, stimulating, bright thing that you just want to eat. But what happens as soon as you eat cotton candy? You realize there's nothing there, right? Like it's all, it's, it's pretty much a big lie. Cotton candy is the biggest lie ever invented. You think that, hey, this thing, it's like bright, colorful, doesn't exist in nature at all, nothing like this, I have to have it. It's like why fish like power bait. It, it's, it, it resembles nothing you find in nature. I don't know why they have to have it so bad, right? You're like, oh man, I'm gonna eat this giant thing of cotton candy. It just turns to nothing. It turns into nothing. There's this hilarious video of a raccoon washing a little piece of uh, cotton candy because they wash their food before they eat it. And this guy, I don't know who it is, but they're truly evil, gives a raccoon a little piece of cotton candy. And they put it in this little stream and they're washing it and it just disappears. And he's like <laughs> looking around for it and it's gone. It's so evil, right? But also hilarious. Uh, you think that a giant thing of cotton candy will fill you up, but you're just left with a stomach ache. No matter what the devil says, this world is passing away. And all of the passions, all of the desires with it are passing away like cotton candy. And if you fill your stomach with that, all you'll be left is with a stomach ache. Nothing lasts. The devil is incapable of producing anything of eternal value. Incapable. All the lies that your sin told you at the end of the day, none of it is true. None of it holds up. John's not saying, don't love the world because uh, it's really bad and you shouldn't do that. John is saying, don't love the world because if you do, you're getting a really bad deal. If you do love the world, you've bought in to a wicked sales pitch you bought a lemon car that's going to break down five miles down the road. He's saying it purely out of love, not out of legalism or self-righteousness. He's saying, because I love you, don't love the world. It's all fleeting. It'll all be gone. All of the promises that sin made you are just lies. None of it stands up to eternity Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 12 says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's a challenging verse. That's the same thing that we're reading about here in John. People of God have rejected him, the true fountain of living water, and they've traded him for, for cisterns that they've made for themselves that are cracked and broken and can contain no water at all. They bought the lie that the devil can satisfy, that the world offers true joy, that God is holding out on us, that God doesn't know how to have fun or have joy, right? They've bought the lie. 
It happens everywhere we look. But the truth is, the truth is that the riches of genuinely knowing God make the most delectable desires of the world look as fleeting, empty, and unfulfilling as cotton candy does for dinner, right? You'll never, ever be satisfied by sin. Never. I find it really interesting that in this passage about love, written by the apostle of love, John contrasts the person who loves the world with the person who does God's will. What does he say in, in the last parts of verse 17? Whoever does the will of God lives forever. So John is saying here that, that loving God, the, the opposite of the person that loves the world, the opposite of the person that loves the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is the person who does God's will. I found that interesting. See, when a person loves God, he doesn't just sit and become a pew potato, right? The person who loves God and is consumed with real love by him is the person that is doing his will, is the person that is active in their faith, that is living out the love of God, that is serving God. That's what it looks like to love God. The person that is in love with Jesus is the person doing the will of Jesus, not just the person sitting, not just the person saying, yeah, Jesus is great, right? Do our lives reflect the love of Jesus? Can someone take a look at our lives? Can they peer in to our lives and see the things that we're doing? Are we busy doing our will? Are we busy satisfying the desires of our flesh? the desires of our eyes? Or are we busy doing the will of our Father in heaven? That's the indicator. Whose will are we really busy doing? Are we really a people that loves God? And do we love serving Him? Do we love to serve? Man, that's convicting. Sometimes it's hard to serve God. Sometimes it's so hard just to turn around to your coworker after having a terrible day and just say, you know what? Jesus loves you. You might be a jerk to me, but I still love you. <laughs> Maybe don't say that to your coworker, right? But how hard is it sometimes for us to follow God and actually do his will? For us to bring God to work with us, bring him home with us, bring him everywhere we go with us filled with love for him, filled with passion for him, eager to do his will and not just our own, right? The people that love God are the people that are doing his will. If we're sitting here and we're like, how do I love God more? How do I love God more? I want to love God more, but it's hard. I remember doing that. I remember thinking that when I was in high school. I want to love God more, but, it's, but I don't know how. I don't know how to fill my heart full of love for God. I don't know how to just be enamored by Jesus. I don't know how to be passionate for Jesus. I don't know how to feel that feeling in my heart for Jesus more. How do I do it? How do we do it, John? If we read on, 
He says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. John says, see the kind of love, not that we have for each other or that we have for God, but see the kind of love that God has for you. See the kind of love that God has for you. Are you feeling low on your love for God? See his love for you again. Be enamored with his love for you. Scripture tells us that he loved us first. We love because he first loved us. If your love tank is empty for Jesus, maybe this is something that you've forgotten, that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you, that he was consumed for his love for you. So if we're running low, if we're losing sight of Jesus, that is what we need to remind ourselves with, that Jesus loved us so much he was willing to endure the cross for us. He knows every single hair that's on our heads. He knows every single sin and trespass that we've committed against him, and he still chose to endure the cross for you. That's real love. That's the true source of love. And if you're a Christian and you understand how much Jesus loves you, you have no other choice but to love him back with thanksgiving, with joy, with praises. That's why we sing here on Sunday mornings. Why do we sing? Because we're really good at it and we love to hear our own voice? No, we sing because we have a reason we sing because God did something for us and we have nothing left to do but tell him thank you. He did it all. He paid it all on the cross. There's nothing that we could have done to take away our own sin. And Jesus wiped it all away, knowing full well how wicked we are. Romans 8, 5, uh, Romans 5, 8, excuse me, says he demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinning, while we were still rebellious towards God and spitting in his face with the things that we do and the things that we think. While we were busy sinning against God, he died for us and he loved us. He loved you at your darkest, at your worst, most embarrassing, most bent moment at your life. Jesus saw you and loved you there. He saw you and loved you there. How else can you respond to that other than in broken thanksgiving? How else can you respond to that but singing a joyful song of praise that Jesus saw us at our worst and still, still didn't give up on us? Do we believe that we can share our heart with the things of this world and with the Lord? Do we believe the lie that God is not good enough? That God does not satisfy enough? Have we forgotten God in order to dig our own cracked cisterns that can't hold any water? Have we fallen out of love with our God and serving him? If you can feel the world trying to steal away your heart, 
trying to creep up to that throne and rule and dominate your life and take you away from Jesus, run back to him. Run back to him as fast as you can. Root out the competition in your heart. Repent and tear it out. Cast away the things that are distracting you from Jesus. Throw it away and don't look back. Violently get rid of the things that are competing for that throne. Remember that God gives us true joy and true pleasure and that no sin can even come close to competing with him. But that real joy is at his right hand. And remember the cross and the love that Jesus demonstrated for us. Not that we demonstrated for him. There was nothing that we could give. But remember the cross and what he demonstrated for us. Amen. Worship band, you can come on up. Lord Jesus, help us to become more enamored and more obsessed and more filled with passion for you. Help us, my Lord, not to be distracted by every single thing out there trying to get our attention. But Lord, help us to keep you on the throne of our hearts. Remind us, Lord, that true pleasures are at your right hand forevermore in this life and in eternity. We'll get to see you, Lord. We'll get to hold your hand, Lord. We'll get to look at the scars on your body that are there for us. We'll be with you for eternity. Help us, Lord. Please help this church not to be distracted by the fleeting pleasures of sin. But remind us, Lord, of the love that you have for us the amazing otherworldly love that you have for us, that you would see us as we are and die for our sins anyways and fill us full of love in response of that fact. And Lord Jesus, if there's anyone here that doesn't know that love or that's never experienced that love, I pray that you would be knocking on the door of their heart this morning, Lord. I pray that it would be so evident the love that you have for us, that they would have no choice but to say, yes, Lord Jesus, I accept you. I accept your love. I can't get this love anywhere else. The world doesn't know how to offer this kind of love. It only comes from you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be people that love you with all of our hearts. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, 